and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest show on earth! Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea, and particular a very spectacular episode, as tonight we're going to be counting down our favourite. Sp- how do we? How do we put this? Given spooky moments, scary moments, scariest moments in film for us, like. <laughs> yep. Uh, tonight we're going to be running down a list of that myself and Kim have compiled of our favourite scariest moments in horror cinema. Um, I don't know about yourself, Kim, but when it came to compiling my list, I tried to avoid, like, a lot of the obvious ones that always appear on everyone's list, like Ben Gardner's head in uh, Jaws, for example, which, while it's a still fantastic jump scare, which gets me every single time, it's, it's not going to make my list. It's, like, I wanted to, like, whenever I'm given a chance to do lists or drafts, I just always like to highlight the things that people tend to overlook, so uh, hopefully we're going to achieve that with this list as well, but... Uh, that's why my my picks may be a little left field. I know Kim went her own way with her list, so do you uh, want to start us off tonight, then, Kim? Uh, sure. I mean, um, I am going to start off with um, 2006 Pulse, uh, and it's a very specific scene where it's the it's like the bathroom scene, <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with like a really cool camera pan where you have. Uh, you have a girl in, in the bathroom stall and then she starts hearing something outside and then the camera pans out and then it's like there's no one there and then kind of thing and then and then there's like and then you kind of see that little ghost figure type of thing and then it pans back to her and then she looks out and then you know it's like it's a very like scene where she's looking in the bathroom mirror and then she sees the stall behind her and that sort of that sort of general scene where it's just because of all the camera pans and all the atmosphere that's been built at that point like i know that a lot of people like pulse in general is rated really badly (laughs) but like the remake itself is rated really badly and a lot of people probably could find a much better scary scene in in its original which i do agree but i also don't remember that very well but pulse in this case i think is it's it's one of i think in this case it makes the list because it's been it was one of the first horror movies that i watched um and that scene really stuck to me from then till now sort of thing fantastic uh pulse is one of those movies that i keep saying i'm going to watch both this uh, version and the original version and i've so far failed to happen uh on both uh pulse did obviously make a shutter's list of 101 most shocking moments as well so maybe we're going to see a revival of interest in pulse maybe i think it's worth i think it's worth a rewatch because I find it unjust in the sense that, you know, obviously the reason why I I sought out the original was because, I mean, when you look at a lot of um, ratings for it, both its original and the remake have really low ratings. And to me, that's very weird because if the original was a low rating, then why was it made into a remake? You know, like, why would there be a remake for it? And I don't know, maybe there's a cult following of some sort. I don't know. I'd have to go into deeper research, but it's been a film that I personally like. Like, don't watch any of the Pulse sequels, but <laughs> they're, they're truly bad. But, like, I think this one has something in there. 
Um, for my first pick, um, I'm going to go with uh, another film which never seems to get its due, and that's Creep from 2004, directed by Christopher Smith, um, in which a woman's trapped in the London subway system and finds herself pursued by an unknown attacker who turns out to be a mutant man who is uh, part of a secret experiment that's been happening under the streets of London and uh, he was one of these children that was left behind and has been basically hiding out in the London subway system. Uh, this isn't actually the first time that something horrible has been found in the London subway system as uh, you've also got uh, Death Rail which uh, featured cannibals hiding in the London underground and uh, with Creep it's got one of the scenes which is still a scene which I'm still traumatized by now um, in which one of the characters is left uh, as the others in the group presume that she's been dead and uh, this mutant man turns up and proceeds to perform surgery on her but he's got a kind of a child mentality so he's basically reenacting these surgery sequences he's seen and uh, it's absolutely a grotesque ending with a surgical blade being put in a rather uncomfortable place um, but this is just such a creepy and disgusting and traumatizing sequence and just the way that it lingers on this particular scene um, just really meant to stick with you. Uh, Creep thankfully is going to be heading to the Arrow Player in October along with Severance so hopefully um, it'll get a bit of a second life and more people will get to see it because whenever you mention Creep they'll assume it's that movie on Netflix which is not. <laughs> but uh, that's my first pick. What about yourself Kim? Uh, my next pick for my my next pick would be 2016's Lights Out, uh, which is the directorial debut for uh, David F. Sandberg. Um, and it's basically like talks about a young woman who's trying to confront her childhood fears. And um, and they soon realize it's this spirit that's attached to their mother. <laughs> that's the culprit behind the whole thing. And um, and basically what lights out does is it's very cleverly uses the concept of like the light is where the creature like the 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 horror element <laughs> is able to survive in so the scene where i talk about is somewhere like that i really like that i think is really creepy is um somewhere near like the final takedown moment <laughs> and it's where they're kind of lured into like a dark they're in a dark house and the power's been taken out and then they go into the um attic or uh, not the attic but like the basement to fix the power and then they realize it's a core it's like it's like a, it's like a lure so both the spirit is downstairs and it's kind of like morphing around so you have like a really clever use between like how they're trying like they're trying to keep the light like a little source a light source that they have and the light source keeps changing because you have you know like in the basement it's very creepy where you see the the light coming in and out from their little like um i can't remember it's a flashlight yeah. or something like that and then you know uh i don't know if the scene goes i can't remember if my scene specifically but in this scene it actually like there's a moment where they're outside as well and then the car lights come into play and and you have this moment there and i think it's really clever in the sense like the the use of the light really creates that creepy element because at this point you know how the the whole creature functions but at the same time like there's a lot of things in there that the tension that it builds and like the darkness that it creates in that space 
And not only is it like a claustrophobic space, but at the same time, you don't know where, when they're going to come out and where, which direction. And it's playing with the dark really well, but also using that light source to, to the advantage. So, you know, I, 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 I really like the structure of that whole scene to create that like creepy tension. Yeah, I mean, this is my first sort of time I've seen uh, this particular scene because Lights Out came around to around the same time as uh, It Follows, another film which I've yet to see. But I really love the mechanic here of the fact that the ghost can't be seen if it's got if uh, or it loses its power if the lights go onto it. So I, <laughs> it was sort of like. It's got the sort of usual setup where um, you think, oh, the boyfriend's going to be dead, and then he uses the car headlights, as you said, and I thought it was just a really clever sequence, just how it uses the lights and the different ways that you can get light from car headlights or the mobile phone. I thought it was just a really great use of uh, light and effect, and it's uh, it's it's always fun when you've got like a monster that's like limited by something so like vampires with sunshine and this obviously being a ghost with light so um i think that was really cool and i'm i'm gonna go and check this one out because it looked really good yeah i'm glad i hope you like it when you do because there's a very i i, I believe there's pretty mixed reviews on lights out itself but uh yeah what's your next pick my next pick <laughs> is a creature feature uh that i believe we're both big fans of and that's alligator uh, which is um, mm-hmm. a, one of the better Jaws knockoffs. This one features a baby alligator that is flushed into the sewage system and thanks to feasting on genetically modified uh, animals that have been dumped by the local lab, it's turned into a ginormous crocodile, uh, or alligator, shall I say? Because it'd be weird if it's a crocodile in a movie called Alligator. <laughs> True. Not that anyone ever knows the difference. Everyone said they read books and seen documentaries and know the difference. They never do. <laughs> I think that everybody who goes into a film, either about an alligator or a crocodile, they don't know what it is. They will always look it up because I always do. <laughs> so this particular scene is the basically the, the setup is that the alligator has snuck into a residential pool and is uh, hiding out. And these kids uh, from the birthday party in the house are coming out and they're playing pirates and they're going to make the younger brother walk the plank and but known that the alligators in the pool below and uh, the pool lights get switched on and the alligator's mouth is waiting up below but the kids don't see him until they push the younger brother in uh, where he becomes alligator chow um this is a really <laughs> it's horrific on so many levels this scene uh, not only do you have a small child being eaten by an alligator and being pushed in by his siblings but the fact that you see the alligator like suddenly appear there and it's got its more open um and it's kind of like the scene in jaws where brody's on top of the on top of the crow's nest and you can see the shark below him and he's uh trying to get his shot off it's a real nice replication of that shot there but while there's so many great moments in alligators such as like when it bursts up the city street or when it attacks the wedding this one scene in particular just always sort of like stood out to me as just this really great moment of horror that uh, that makes you probably question what's in your swimming pool after you've seen it. So, just when you thought it was uh, safe to go back into your into your private pool, you've got to think again. There may be an alligator in there now. <laughs> it doesn't help that this pool was very dirty. It's probably <laughs> so leaves and there were like trash, leaves and it? stuff there, right? So. <laughs> But it's so no. I mean, this, I alligator is a really great pick. Um, I mean, 
when we when we get around to you know the next season and we start talking about creature features this one does appear and um it's one of those films i think that there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of moments in alligator which they create that horror moment really well and i feel like you know creature features sometimes don't create that horror like you were talking about the wedding scene and all that and those moments i put like more into like a silly moment yeah. <laughs> it's not really like you know they're not really like meant to be too horrific because it's such a wide group and there's a bunch of crazy silly people doing stupid things you know and then but when you have moments like this it's it's like the horror is in not only the you know endangering children but at the same time it's it, it, it really focuses on that, you know, that unknown, right? Like, you know that there's an alligator in the pool because you're the audience and you can see it, the outline yeah. of it. And you can see the mouth opening, but the kids is like, the the kid walking the plank is like, no, no, no. And he, <laughs> he has his, he's blindfolded, he can't see anything. And by the time he drops in, it's already too late, right? Oh, definitely so. And it's so rare to see children killed on film. Normally there's an escape for them but there's certain films that will pull the trigger on it uh like you got dark waters got an example mimic uh by del yeah. toro features death by kids the blob remake features the death of a child as well so when you got a film that's willing to pull the trigger on it it's always a little more shocking because you always think the kid's going to get away but when they uh when they don't and especially in this sequence and the way that this animatronic crocodiles lit up underwater the thing looks real like the rest yes. of the time, it's very lumbering and cumbersome, yeah. but they make it work. But in this scene, because of the way the light pool lights come onto it, the way it's reflected, you would think this is like a real crocodile in this pool that they got like uh, they've got some real questionable health and safety in them putting this kid above it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just um, it it does. I said it's just a, a scene that like it's kind of shocking and comes out of nowhere because uh, you think you know what this film's about and then it throws that scene in there and just catches by surprise which is pretty cool so yeah i mean i think i think it's a real it's a real like tribute to the film itself and and like in in, in saying that because i mean the movie is like 1980 or something right yeah so you know back then it, it's all it's all you know practical and you don't really you know like the alligator seeming real is is such a a big part of you know honoring this film for what it is. I think um, it's like you said, like the rest of the, most of the movies, the alligator is just kind of like <laughs> strutting around slowly. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of actors like hyperactively acting around it. Yeah, um, exactly. It's like like when you look at. Um, the guy from Wolf Creek is in uh, in Dark Age, and he said this this thing was so slow. It's all like I'm here, like wrapping around its thing, and I'm trying to make sure it look like it's a dangerous crocodile, but it really isn't at all. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think Alligator's sort of like one of the standouts. Is it the sequel is awful, so do not waste your time on that Alligator to the mutation. But um, I think it would take us. Dare I say until Crawl before or Rogue actually before we got another great uh, scary Gator movie? Yeah, because I mean, even if you think about Lake Placid, which is before, oh yeah, that's but it's more, more um, comedic, isn't it? That's still yeah, that's that's still decent, I would yeah. say. Um, that's still a decent um, Gator movie. Um, 
And then, yes, it would be Rogue after that, I would think. Because, yeah. yeah, Right Pass is 99. Greatest movie year ever. Also, no, it was 2001 because it's the same year as Deep Blue Sea. Yes. So, I'm going to shut up now. Kim, what was uh, your <laughs> next pick? Ah, coincidentally, mine is also one, which is about... Uh, <laughs> children's who children who die in horror movies um yeah so mine is going to be 2018's uh psychological horror hereditary which i think is also a directorial debut by ari aster um and i think at this point a lot of people know what hereditary is but it's like basically if you don't know the movie is about like members of the family that are haunted by this presence um, in their home, basically. Uh, and what happens is, you know, like the scene that I'm talking about <laughs> is where you have um, the the daughter's death scene. And what, what really happens is um, she's having this uh, allergic reaction in the back of the car and her brother is driving her frantically home, was it? Yeah. Um, and driving her frantically home and she's just like, She's just like turning and, 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 and you know, like she she's she's choking. She she can't breathe in the back seat. And at one point she suddenly feels the need for air, so she pops her head out of the window. And at that point, you have that moment where um he hit I think he loses control because there's something like an animal that crosses the street and the car swerves to avoid and then her head hits a lamppost and her head flies off <laughs> and she dies basically um so yeah you know that scene from that moment till like the moment when they go home and like the parents learn about it right it's like a scene that is incredibly scary and sad and shocking i think um but that scene is is probably one of the most powerful surprisingly horrific scenes in the entire movie and i mean i believe a lot of people regard hereditary with a lot of you know like like they get scared by a lot of the moments there a lot of the bigger moments um that are more traditionally horror film like supernatural horror uh, but this one i think was powerful because you never expected her who seemed like because the daughter felt like a pretty key character in the story you didn't expect her to not only was it a they made a child die but like it felt like it was one of the key characters that that died at also yeah i mean hereditary obviously being a real keys key piece of uh, a24's filmography really i mean with hereditary i think it's sort of like announced that a24 were going to be the artsy counter to bloomhouse which i think is really interesting the fact that we now have two sort of like powerhouses when it comes to horror if you want some art you go to a24 and if you want to make something a little lighter a little more disposable then um, then you go and hang out at bloomhouse and i think both studios have got their strengths and they've both produced interesting works and while hereditary didn't really it wasn't as effective a movie for myself as it seems to be for a lot mm -hmm. of people. This scene with the death of Charlie is definitely a real sort of standout moment. I remember like getting that real big jolt uh, when I yeah. saw it. And there's so much... The, 
that comes after the scene of her death that just feels very so true to life the fact that he goes home and he goes to bed and it's that very sort of like thing that if you've ever messed up something so badly and you just go home and you just want to go to bed you just want to shut everything off and this numbness that you see him there and then we see with uh tony collette's mother character the primordial screaming that she has this the struggling to deal with the death of her daughter um and it's just so raw and intense and added to this the fact that i've since having kids i can't deal with kids in in peril kids being harmed it just goes right through me and infects me on just like this horrible deep level that i just don't really like mm-hmm. um so you got this to look forward to kim um <laughs> maybe it's not already hitting home but um the fact that the pay- the payoff for this end sequence is her decapitated head in brilliant daylight crawling with ants and it's like oh great <laughs> yes but, oh, fantastic scene in uh, otherwise forgettable movie for myself at least anyway so but um, I did like the follow up uh, Midsommar I thought that was really good so something to look forward to definitely um so, what's your next pick? Okay, my next pick is um, from Alien, as in the first one. And that's the event sequence where the ship's captain, Dallas, has gone into the ship's vents to try and flush out the alien xenomorph that is now running amok. Um, now, when obviously we talk about Alien, there's a number of big standout moments when it comes to shocks, such as like the chest burster sequence, the face hugger appearing out of the egg. There's many sequences with the alien itself, but the vent sequence, I feel, it was always like this really intense moment. It's this really sort of prolonged terror, and the fact that you've got this beeping of the monitor constantly that uh, where they're tracking the alien and they're tracking his progress, and they're talking to him constantly back and forth, and he can't see where this alien is, but he knows it's sort of descending upon him, and it really sort of set um, a reoccurring theme within the Alien franchise movies where they're always in vents. They love to get into air vents at any possible moment. We see it in there's a chase sequence in Aliens. We get to see them trying to flush an alien out of the vents in Alien 3. Um, so whatever it was about this vent sequence, they love to replicate it. And even if you play the game um, Alien Isolation, there's more vents <laughs> scenes for you there as well. <laughs> but I just always really loved this sequence as a kid and just the fact that when it ends we get to see the alien full on and it like cuts and it's like almost like the broadcast itself has been cut um and i was just thought that was like such a such a great way it's method the way that the um the crew all sort of like reacting and they're they're going more panicked the way it's closing in and the fact it's it's been reworked in pop culture as well. The Simpsons did a play on this with uh, groundskeeper Willie trying to get Santa's little helper out of the school vents. Um, and you had like Skinner looking on the monitor, same as this. So it was, it's uh, a scene that can, could have gone either way. It could have been really blasé, but in this one it's just really sort of tense and you're just sort of like the way that you're just like this crampness of the vents and um how it's just also like dark the only illuminations from the torch and stuff i just think it's it's a really perfect moment in an already perfect movie so yeah i mean alien is one of those movies where um you know there's always that constant debate between alien and aliens and which is better and obviously aliens is more of like an action yeah it's in my opinion vietnam and space Um, isn't it 
Yeah, but if you talk about it in, like, the horror groundedness of it, like, Alien is very, very, like, I find it creates horror very, very well. Um, You know, right from the moment that, you know, you have, (laughs) you you have the chestburster scene um, (laughs) till till you go forward. Um, But, I mean, the vents are such a key element, and I think that that's inspired so much horror nowadays you know in games and movies and using that kind of claustrophobic space and that sort of like limited light and that sort of thing um i mean i've already talked about before one of my scenes you know like low lighting is always a (laughs) really great tension builder (laughs) and this one you know you also have the the pressure of the things coming um the 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 tracker that's going off at the same time and all these things, you know, it creates both like a perfect atmosphere of like noise and like like mild sound to, you know, to to the conversation and and the, you know, the unknown that's that's in that's going to be, you know, coming towards you type of thing. And I think that that's one of those the balance between how that scene is crafted is so well done in that sense. Yeah, I mean, with Alien, it never gave us, like, a cheat like we have with Jaws, where we, you know, with the music's intensity that sort of indicates where the shark is. Yeah. With Alien, it's always, like, like beeps and heartbeats and these yeah. very sort of organic things that, uh, that were used to sort of, like, build the tension. There's no, like, when you, like, moved on to, like, Aliens, uh, there's more sort of, like the soundtrack came more to the forefront there, especially during those big action sequences and with alien i mean it was essentially just the haunted house in space that was like really just yeah. the concept here and i think it just perfectly plays up i mean the confinement of this sort of space and just like you think of like moving through this sort of like area where you if something's behind you you can only go so quickly it could be in front of you and then you're gonna try and turn around which is gonna be fun so and to also kill off a character you thought was so key, I mean, he's the ship's captain, Dallas is. And yet he's... Mm. The scene that plays before this, where he's sort of, like, asking about his own chances of survival, and it's sort of like, oh, the minimal. And so he, like, takes it upon himself to, like, that he's going to be the one to go in the vents and uh, and flush this alien out, so... Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I think we've already established, like, if you go back to Alien 3, you can hear me fanboy over my love for this franchise, so... Um, yeah, Alien. I know it's everyone goes off to Aliens because it's got more action pieces, but Alien is still a Stone Cold classic. Whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree with you on that part. Like, I mean, I personally like on a entertainment level, like a movie that I'd go back to watch all the yeah. time. I definitely choose Aliens. But if it were talking about like. Um, just the craft of a horror movie and like a psychological horror in that sense as well, then, you know, Alien is very effective overall. And I think that, you know, when you bring up, when you bring up Jaws and Alien, it, it really distinguishes, you know, it comes back to something that, you know, obviously our main project here, and that's looking at different directors and their different directing styles. And when you look at Ridley Scott versus Steven Spielberg, how they treat horror, well, obviously one is you know one is doing it this way and you know with a lot of help in the back and stuff like that but this one is more like Ridley Scott is more of someone who's like very subtle you know and I think that I can't pinpoint exactly what other Ridley Scott movies because my memory is garbage right now but um but I feel like a lot of his movies are grounded in a lot more like quieter sequences to create you know that yeah Ridley Scott's definitely a lot more subtle I think with Spielberg he's always um, 
got this sort of whimsiness to himself and about and builds things around the family unit and when it came to like Ridley Scott his movies are a lot more about the individual and they're a lot more they're often about groups of uh of people but certainly when it came to like uh Alien I mean it's such a a wonderful style piece I mean not only do we have like the idea of blue collar space um which um was created really by Dan O'Bannon who originally sort of explored this concept with Darkstar and we see like space in Ridley Scott's room is just like it's a job it's not like Star Trek and going on whimsical missions or it's not even like Star Wars it's it's just like you know you go to space it's it's a job you're just a blue collar slob and then we go on the alien side and it's all the HR Giga stuff and like all the alien uh designs and stuff is all his sort of like weird surrealist sort of like drawings that they put into it so I think um, yeah. that's where it always sort of stood out. It's always very otherworldly, whereas Jaws could, Jaws could very much happen. Jaws is the reason I still don't like swimming in the ocean. I know it's a plastic shark, but I still don't like swimming in the ocean because that movie. It's weird <laughs> how certain things mess you up as a kid. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, I I have issues like with after I watch like Jaws and a lot of shark movies, I have issues with like swimming on the deep side of the pool. So you know, when I was yeah. younger, so. That's uh, you know, anything which is like <laughs> deep enough that it gets dark at the bottom. That's always you start questioning what's in yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the darkness, isn't it, that uh, that yeah. worries you. Yeah, and then you add in the factor of you know alligator, then you're like, you know, anything can happen, <laughs> even if it's a pool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so what's your next pick, Kim? Uh, my next pick is a much more recent movie. It's uh, 2020's The Invisible Man, which, in my opinion, is um, at least from movies that I've seen, uh, which might be because I'm lowering on horror movies lately, uh, one of the more effective, uh, scary movies mm. that I've seen in the recent years. Um, and the scene that I picked for Invisible Man, I, well, in case you don't know what Invisible Man is, let's go back. That's a fact track this is uh directed by <laughs> uh lee wennell <laughs> uh directed and written by yep. him and it's obviously inspired by the novel of the same name by hg wells and uh it's about a woman who believes that she is being stalked by her deceased ex-boyfriend um <laughs> uh, where he and and that because he's figured out a way to be invisible so um Figure that out by yourself, you know? Do you believe that she's being stalked? Um, and is he able to be invisible, right? Uh, but, you know, the scene that I picked from this, there is actually two scenes that I kind of struggled between. Um, there is one obvious one I think a lot of people go to is the restaurant scene where um, basically the knife flies around and then cuts her sister in the throat. Um, and that's a very scary scene, but I think the more effective one is with when she's in the house, um, and this, uh, invisible, you know, force <laughs> is just messing with her in many, many different ways. And eventually as she follows the stuff while she's alone at home at this, in this house, she goes up to the attic following, like, the phone call. I think it was a phone ring and stuff like that. And she, she goes there and she still finds, like, the keys and all that stuff. And then eventually, when she looks back, she she started suddenly, like, 
pours the paint over in the space after building all this tension in the darkness. Me and darkness, right? And you just like, <laughs> and then you, and then she pours the paint at the entrance of the attic, and then the paint covers the image of a head that's 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 just there staring at her, to kind of you know justify that there is an invisible man that is stalking her. And I think that the scene is just you know like the shock value of it and the tension building of it is really really great. Yeah, The Invisible Man by uh, Lee Wanell. We would have thought that one of the co-creators of Saw would give us one of the most imaginative remakes of The Invisible Man concept, really, since uh, Hollow Man, which is a Venehoven movie. Um, I really enjoyed The Invisible Man. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic movie and uh, another great uh, movie put out by Bloomhouse. But no, he does a really fantastic job updating the material and the teasers of the Invisible Man being there. There's some real nice subtle little sequences such as there's a scene where she's outside and you can see his breath. But they yeah. don't acknowledge it and they think, God, oh, a lesser director would have like really played up on this. It's all like, oh, you've given this hint that he's there. I've got to show him now. But Leon O really teases out the the existence of this this world's invisible man and i'm not going to spoil the actual uh, magic trick of how he is invisible in this version but yeah um i think that the ending of the sequence because as you said already she's pitch black she's in this attic and she finds his she's a bait since she's stumbled onto his little lair which whenever you stumble onto a killer's lair normally it means bad things because it means they're going to turn up behind you and in this uh, sequence where she's like finds the finds the phone and she finds the knife and this little book of uh, notes that we get a little hint of uh, what the uh, what the trick is, and then as you said, uh, she goes to leave the attic and senses there and throws the paint down and we see his outline in paint and oh, just it's a wonderful wonderful film and I think it does some great things with the material and I I couldn't I really couldn't fault this movie at all I think it was just great from start to finish it didn't do air it just took it in some really imaginative directions and i think much like a yeah. it uh it it sort of like really um made a lot of sense the way that they had this character sort of like what would you do if like your abusive uh ex is now able to turn himself invisible it's sort of like that's like it's scary enough like the fact of you escape from your abusive ex and then the worst thing is if you think that he can turn himself invisible so he could be anywhere there's like how do you stop that it's it's just great yeah like that's a, that's extreme like obsessive behavior yeah. right and <laughs> and it and and like i i think that that's the thing is like when you look at this film it's treated with so much you know like those subtle sequences like that breath in 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 the in the air type of thing and and there are so many little moments where you have these things where the audience sees it, but the character doesn't. Mm. And I think that that's what makes it so brilliant in the sense that you always feel like they create this uh, feeling where there's always someone around observing you. And and there are so many scenes. Like, I had a hard time picking what scene to choose because there's obviously, you know, there's the one that's in the trailer, uh, where she's in the bathroom, and that's not a secret. If you watch a trailer, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very, like, you know, normal type of scene for a horror movie. But at the same time, when you look at something like this, it's, 
I think the scene is so nice. Um, but I think like for many people, you might not pick this scene. There's like many other scenes where you know around the house they the 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 invisible man is doing a lot of damage to her life and isolating her in that sense. So it's it's it goes to many extremes, but at the same time, I think that there there's so much here, you know. And this scene for me was one of the most powerful. Yeah, great pick. Now onto something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> we have <laughs> the sleeping bag death from Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Um, sleeping bags have been a reoccurring joke within the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. It was a fun death in Part Seven, where this is the film after Jason's come back as a zombie. Because remembering he dies in Part Four. Um, part five, he's on vacation, and uh, part six, he comes back as a, a zombie who's magically brought back to life by lightning, which is still one of the less plausible ways that a bad guy has come back. But um, <laughs> part seven, he he was played by Kane Hodder, the man, the myth, the legend, and this particular scene, um, he's sneaks up on uh, the usual amorous couple. And the girlfriend who's in the sleeping bag, he beats against a tree. It's comical, but it's super effective at the same time. And apparently a kill that they love so much that they've brought it back a couple of times. They reworked it in the Friday the 13th remake, uh, which has him hoist it above a bonfire and set it on fire, which is pretty grisly. And then in Jason X, as in Jason Goes to Space, they have a comedic holly deck uh, sequence where um, he basically beats up two nubile young counsellors who uh, play it, their characters basically play up the tropes of every slasher victim in a 70s and 80s horror it's sort of like oh we've just been doing drugs now let's have premarital sex <laughs> and then uh, yeah. we cut back to him and he's just there beating one sleeping bag victim on top of the other so I it's a scene that if Friday the 13th fans constantly talk about and I think it would be, if we were to sort of like highlight one of the many great kills within the Friday the 13th series then I think the sleeping bag death has to be the one. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I don't remember part seven okay. at all. Because <laughs> uh, I watched it during a Halloween marathon and uh, <laughs> you know, after after a sequence of so many Friday they blend one into movies. the other after a while, don't they? <laughs> they kind of blend together. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, like, uh, looking back at the scene, um, the sleeping bag scene, I always found it was, it, like you said, it was very comical, and to me it wasn't very scary, but I can understand, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, if you are into camping, which I'm not, then... <laughs> That scene would be horrific. <laughs> like I can understand, I can understand where that's coming from. Um, like to me, I think that the scene itself is 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 like the way they use the sleeping bag scenes are are clever because not a lot of people use that. Um, like yeah, sure, you have usually you know if the danger is happening, it's like the tent <laughs> and not like you know picking up the entire sleeping bag and it's like. On the tree, you know, like that's a, that's a. It is very like shocking to see mm. um, a scene like that being constructed. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously scenes are in the first film that I could have used this list, such as like the Kevin Bacon arrow yeah. through the neck, which 
I still have no idea how they do it. <laughs> it's all like, it's enough to put an arrow through a fake neck, but this thing's twisting. And I've seen Tom to me like talk through it's all like, oh, we did this and this, and it's like, I have still no idea how you did this. You are a wizard of gore, my friend. <laughs> uh, so. And Tom Savini also had, gave away his recipe on uh, In Search of Darkness 2 for how many drops of green you've got to put in your blood to make it appear right on white shirts. That's like that's like giving away the nuclear missile codes, man. <laughs> but uh, yes, I know it's not particularly a scary sequence. It's more comedic, but I think if we were to sort of highlight one of the many, many kills of Friday the 13th, which... I think this will be uh, the one, even though there's a really great axe to the head sequence in uh, Friday the 13th Part 1 as well, which, but, um, mm. yeah. I know it's it's probably, it's not scary as such, but the sleeping bag death in uh, Friday the 13th Part 7 deserves a place in my list, nevertheless. Mm. Kim, what you got for us now? Well, this is the last pick. Of it the- is. <laughs> yes. The last pick goes to a movie that I think, um, is a movie that I think from start to finish builds up on the tension incredibly well. Um, and that is also 2016. Apparently that's my year and more. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good year. 2016's um, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, uh, which is a supernatural horror directed by... Um, it's the first English uh, film, English language film by Norwegian director Andre Overdahl. I, I'm probably butchering it, <laughs> but I think that's how you say his name. I don't know. And um, and it, it basically is about a father-son coroner who, uh, who are examining this body of an unidentified woman, hence Jane Doe, uh, and they start experiencing supernatural things around them. There are many scenes in Jane Doe, and I think that a lot of people will find the ending being one of the more scary moments um, because, you know, they start um, witnessing a lot of things, especially when you're in a morgue. There's a lot of dead bodies that you could reanimate and that sort of thing. And there is one scene that is very clever where, you know, there's a corpse walking towards them as they're trying to get out and escape, um, which, you know, turns out to, you know, be something else. But... Uh, but it is, it is a very scary, intense scene. But for me, I think that this film does the best is during the process of the whole autopsy, um, where as they're examining this body, the, the, the camera constantly pans back to this still face, um, of the Jane Doe. And as they're opening her, you keep seeing that face and like most films you would expect at one point this face is going to you know move um it's gonna something's gonna happen and yet the more you think about it and it doesn't happen the more the tension builds and that's what that's what's basically so scary because the horror builds because as they open her up there's things that they discover about this body the secrets the the little things that you know they notice on on in the different body parts and stuff like that so there's a lot of gore in this scene at the same time, you also add that into the tension of, you know, expecting and anticipating something's going to happen, which, you know, doesn't really happen until later on in, in, in another form. And, and the scene is just, I think it's just so cleverly constructed. I mean, there are some issues with, you know, the film in general. Um, yeah, so 
there there are little things that are but overall i think it's such a smart idea to do this because like there's so much story to this Jane Doe and like I don't want to reveal it here because you know I I feel like it's a movie that really deserves to be seen if it's not seen before and if you've seen it you probably know what I'm talking about so <laughs> so and, and so that's why it makes the top of my list because I remember when I watched this I was literally at the edge of my seat and I was like I was like oh my god this is you know like supernatural things get me in the first place and then you know you're having this whole like autopsy where they're discovering this stuff and then you keep expecting this corpse to move and and it's not and it's just like you know it, it's like a it's a real psychological like trigger for me it's another film i've never seen although i watched the clip that you sent me through and i was very hooked on this one um so i'm gonna add this to the list because i'm currently in the midst of a double month of horror movie watching so It'd be good to catch up on this one as well. Also features Brian Cox, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, the original Hannibal Lecter from mm -hmm. back in Manhunter. Um, I would argue that uh, his performance as Lecter is definitely one of the best performances um, up there of the three. It stands up there with Hopkins and um, certainly uh, Mads Mikkelsen's portrayal on the the TV show as well. So. Uh, the only bad portrayal of Hannibal we've seen is the one in Young Hannibal. So <laughs> yeah. that was awful. That movie was, but no, I was really, I really loved this uh, sequence. Um, just when they're dissecting the body, as you said, you constantly think that the face is going to do move or do something, and these little bits of information that they're giving, these little clues that uh, they're finding as they continue this uh, autopsy, I think was just really sort of fascinating, and it plays against your expectations so well and the fact that it's a two-person piece it's just this back and forth that you have between them it's there's no sort of like filler or wasted dialogue there it's all very about building the mystery of uh of this this girl that they got on the table so yes i'm excited to see that yeah i'm excited to see what you think about it as a whole yeah <laughs> just, just scene. one scene <laughs> cool um to finish out my list, uh, we have a scene which I still am not a huge fan of, and <coughs> every time I rewatch this movie, I, uh, my finger sort of hangs around the uh, skip button, and that's the bug pit from Peter Jackson's King Kong. This sequence is horrible in every which way. Uh, the basic setup is that our adventurers have been knocked into a pit by Kong uh, while they were trying to escape him, and now they find out that Skull Island is not just a home to a giant ape, but also giant insects and other horrible things as well. Um, I was really I like Peter Jackson's version of King Kong. I think it really plays up the adventure element. So it essentially feels like two movies in one. You've got the island adventure, and then you've obviously got the giant ape on the rampage, um, which forms the second half there. And I think that it's just such a such a work of of love and talent that he brings to this this project and certainly the bug pit sequence is just this sequence in prolonged horror um as we see that when you have members of this crew are trying to crawl out the pit they're getting attacked by unseen bugs and then we got bugs that are just crawling out everywhere and then we have the horrible maggot things that consume andy circus and it becomes a whole other kind of nightmare fuel. 
Um, so yes, the the bug pit sequence, and he actually, being such the nerd he is, um, recreated the missing sequence from the original King Kong using film techniques of the style, the time as well, which you can uh, check out on the special edition DVD or check it out on YouTube. But um, yeah, of 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 everything I love about that movie, the bug pit is certainly not it. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen the this King Kong, um, and but I I did see the scene that you sent over, the little clip that you sent over, and oh my goodness, <laughs> I think it's just the insects itself, right, that really create the the horrific element of like these bugs trying yeah. to eat you alive, um, and you know when the, when you get to those worms eating that that the that character it was just really really like gnarly you know um yeah i know that it was like from the bug design to everything you know you the bug design reminded me a bit of a, a creature feature that we looked at before um deep rising uh, yes deep rising and uh and uh and I, I, I mean it was just very, very cringy. Like, I, I get the little bugs all over you and stuff like that. <laughs> but those looked a little bit more fake to me. But that whole, like, that, those wormy things. Oof. That old toothy and wormy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was some gnarly scene. Um, no, if you've got spare free hours, then definitely go and check out Peter Jackson's King Kong. I know it's a little more difficult since you got a newborn, but maybe he'll like King Kong. Get him hooked on the kaiju path early. You're never too young to start watching giant giant monster movies. Um, and then you can blame it on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's uh, our list. Uh, before we obviously wrap up tonight's episode, it's time to ask the, the also-rans. Was there anything on your list that you wish you'd included at all, Kim? I mean... Uh, I had a few contenders, obviously, um, that I eventually let out, uh, left off, mostly because I think they're also a little bit more popular. Um, and, you know, I feel like a lot of people already know about it. So for me, it's Insidious, where you have the dancing boy scene. Um, I think the whole setup of the scene is really brilliant, um, mostly because I think creepy kids in movies are really effective, more than the whole, like red face popping up from behind the head you know, th th that scene you know that was more of a jump scare like i tried to really avoid jump scares because when you talk about jump scares in horror movies yeah some some of them build really well atmospherically but at the same time like sometimes those things don't have that lasting effect as much um you know much like like that was one of the reasons why i left off descent as well where you know you have that jump the the first you know encounter with the with the albino creatures in 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 descent um and that was also you know i descent was one of those movies that i thought was very scary the first time i watched it but as you watch it again um it kind of like the horror element surprise element kind of lowers a little bit yeah. more i feel like the claustrophobia is more scary than the actual creatures themselves I like the Descent Two a lot more than Descent One, and I think it's mainly because the you, you know what uh, you're essentially going into. You know the monsters are there, and with the Descent, it's so much of it is like a a disaster movie. You're sort of like watching these girls trying to 
find the way out of a cave system only to sort of stumble across the the monsters and that introduction mm-hmm. is really great it just catches you off guard they're just like doing the pan across it's like oh wait a minute <laughs> what the hell's that yeah um yeah. so yeah I would, that's a great pick there yeah i mean i had a few you know like i i i considered train to busan which had you know like the whole train station uh scene with the zombies and you know they're breaking out of the glass and falling onto the train outside and stuff like that and that's a really like you know i feel like a lot of people talk about you know the all the zombies running by and then the little girl standing there and that's also very scary because obviously you have the endangered child moment um but i don't know something about the whole pressing against the glass and breaking it i find that that's very very (laughs) nerve-wracking um i have like an indie irish horror like the hallow which had a really effective scene with the fairies and the needle finger going to the eye which is very cringy and um and then you know there's also absentia which is a uh the directorial debut i would say of mike flanagan and it was one of the movies that i still carry very high regard for mostly because I feel that, you know, I couldn't pinpoint an actual moment because the movie is still is getting a little blurry in my mind. I watched it many years ago. Um, but one of the things that I carry real high, high regard here is that he uses, you know, the budget, the low budget that he has to create a creature that you never see. And that creature ends up being just, you know, shadows and sounds and whatnot. And they end up creating these really, really creepy, you know, tingly skin crawling moments type of thing and and it works really well but i i just you know like it would have been a really serious it would have been a serious contender here if i could pinpoint a scene that i really thought was you know that i could choose but i really couldn't pinpoint something that i you know that i thought was you know one was scarier than the other you know nice how about you you Uh, i've got a uh, few bits and pieces uh here uh, first off, from Deep Rising, the woman getting sucked down the toilet. Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's a great kill. Whatever way you want to put it, in. so it's probably up there. It's probably can we put in the same list as that Friday the seven, Friday the Thirteen Part Seven sleeping bags inclusion on this list. So, the Pale Man Chamber from Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yes, that's a really great pick. Again, it's one of those most infuriating sequences of like go in the room, don't touch anything. And she, of course, she eats a grape. Um, I show that I still remember showing that to my dad and him getting just watching someone have the same reaction that you have to a sequence, it's, especially when you see the fairy get eaten. It's sort of like, oh my god, it's just, it's uh, it just keep you're just like uh, gripping the sofa as you watch it, and it's like so intense. Um, from Tale of Two Sisters, the ghost sequence with the ghost go jumps up on the bed there's something about that movement which is just super creepy it's kind of like in salem's lot when you see the uh the flying vampire boy outside the window the way he hovers uh, there's something very uh very key to the movement of that character that just uh always uh, stuck with me um and also keeping on the asian track to sort of round things off is the much talked about finale of audition um okay i think that it comes straight out of a, like a hallucin- this scene where you have this hallucination and then we're just sort of like straight into this sequence where suddenly he's like unconscious on the floor and he realizes he can't move and his uh, girlfriend is showing her true colors. 
and then finally on my list is the end of the ring because the first time i watched that i almost crawled up the wall <laughs> it's been i think everyone knows what it is now and but the first time i saw the the original japanese version of the ring and that ending comes and it and you see Starku's ghost and it just keeps coming closer and closer and then it like comes through the screen and it's sort of like just <laughs> I could not crawl up the wall fast enough to get away from this thing. Um so yeah that uh that would be the rounded out of my list. But again we could ask, do this on another day and I may have like five completely different picks for you, so but um probably <laughs> that's that's where my mind was when I put this list together. But I'm I'm standing by my main five. I think they're all really great. They're all great, and uh, Kim's given me plenty to watch as well. So, <laughs> isn't that why these these uh, drafts exist? It's what right? you want. You wouldn't <laughs> if someone does a draft properly. It should make you discover things, not just tell you things you know already. There's nothing worse than someone playing a draft safe, so like putting out a bunch of old favorites. That brings us as the end of tonight's show. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, so come say hi to us there. And you can also check out our blog, which is moodsandteapodcast.wordpress.com, uh, which has got our complete archive of episodes from Paul W. Sanderson to, to Ang Lee to Sofia Coppola and Guillermo del Toro. And... Uh, including our special seasons where we've done the season of kick-ass female directors and our upcoming season where we're going to be looking at the history of the creature feature so hopefully you can join us for that as well but until next time thank you to my cousin kim and wishing you all a very happy halloween and until next time good night